Okay, we are in Genesis chapter 37. And just to reiterate, uh, uh, at this point, Joseph is 17 years old. We've got 14 chapters now that are going to cover the life of Joseph uh, with little interludes where it, where it picks up one person or another. But basically, this, this is a very long portion about the life of Joseph. He's an amazing man, many Christ-like qualities within him. And in this chapter, he's 17 years old. We talked about how his brothers had just thrown him into a pit. And we're going to pick up reading again from chapter 37, verse 21. But let me also say this. This is another one of those chapters where there is no mention of God. No mention of God, no mention of Lord. And this is what we see. There are times where we might pull back and have very little relationship with God in our lives and all sorts of troubles and mess comes upon us. So it's very interesting what Moses might be trying to communicate to us through this time, through, through this, where he takes a section where there's no mention of God and we see what, how, how messy things got in, in, their, in their lives. So let's start reading chapter 37, verse... Uh, um, let's start reading verse 21. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. And they threw, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill him, to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him out of the, pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and he said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and, th and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and he said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn in pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. So Reuben tried to save him. Reuben tried to intercede. He didn't have enough clout to just out and out deliver him from the brothers, but he schemed in a way 
that he was going to deliver. He says, let's not take his life. Just put him in this pit. I'll come and get him later. He's thinking to himself and restore him to his father. It says that, that uh, after they threw him in this pit, in verse 25, they sat down to eat a meal. This reference, sitting down to eat a meal, we looked at one of them, how a, 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 an adulteress, a, a prostitute, will just eat a meal, wipe her mouth, and say, I have done no wrong. It says the children of Israel, after they had worshipped the golden calf, they sat down to eat and they rose, and they, they rose up to, to play. Again, this feeling like you're so hardened that after doing a crime like this, you can even just sit down and eat a meal. And then it says, then in verse 27, verse 26, it says, Judah said to his brothers, what profit is is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. So he says, what profit is it to us? As if there should be a profit in killing him. As if we should make something from this. You see the callousness of his heart. Look, if we're, if we're, if we're gonna, if we're gonna let him to die, why don't we at least make some money out of it? And you say, well, isn't Judah, isn't, didn't Jesus come from the tribe of Judah? He absolutely did. But Jesus' righteousness is not based on the righteousness of his heritage. Not at all. Just as, if there's any righteousness, any good in us, it is not based in us or from our heritage. It is all from Jesus Christ. Jesus was good in and of himself. He didn't need any heritage to make him that way. So his heritage was, had nothing to do with this in the sense that he was deriving any righteousness from this. Judah was, was, was uh, uh, one of the leaders in this mess. And so he decides to sell him. In, uh, in, in verse 25, it says that there was a caravan of Ishmaelites. Verse 28, it says that there were Midianites. Verse 28, it says again they were Ishmaelites. Remember, Ishmael was Abraham's first son from Hagar. Midian was one of uh, the six sons of Keturah, which was, which was Abraham's wife Keturah, whom he had married in, in uh, uh, chapter 25 of Genesis. He had married Keturah after the death of Sarah, and he had six sons. And the Midianites and the Ishmaelites, so Midian and Ishmael were half-brothers, and they united, they became one people, and the names were interchanged, and Ishmaelites ended up absorbing the Midianites. And again, that's in Judges chapter 8, verse 22 and 24. You see how the names are interchanged. And so that's exactly what is happening here. And so Reuben now in verse 29, he returns to the pit. So he was away. He had gone off somewhere, obviously, when they had sold him to, into the Midian, to the Midianites. And Reuben now comes back. He goes to the pit to pull his bro- brother out. And he's not there. And he says in verse 29, he tore his garments. This is an expression of death. He felt by seeing this, this pit empty that the kid must be dead. Maybe the brothers came and pulled him out and killed him. They, he didn't know. But when he, uh, this tearing of a garments is the expression of death. Verse 30, he returns to his brothers and he says, the boy is not there. In fact, he says, the, the, the word there is in italics in my Bible, which means it's inserted. He says, the boy is not. That, again, is an expression of death. That, that, uh, um, uh, that Joseph is not, meaning that he's gone, he's dead. As far as Reuben knows, this boy is dead. We don't know if his brothers ever even told him whether they sold him to the Ishmaelites. 
there's no reference to his brothers ever telling him this. No reference at all. It may have been that if Reuben had known this, he would have gone after the Ishmaelites. Remember, they're carrying lots of goods with them. Aromatic gum, balm, and myrrh. They're not moving very fast. They couldn't have had more than a few hours lead on him. He could well have gone after them. We don't know, that, we don't know if they ever told him. And uh, uh, we do know from chapter 42, verse 21 of Genesis, something that's not recorded in this chapter is that Joseph was crying out. Joseph was crying out to his brothers for his deliverance, for his welfare. It was the distress of his heart. So it wasn't like Joseph said, yeah, just throw me into the pit. Yeah, just sell me. It'll be fine. No, I mean, he was crying out. That's what we're told in chapter 42, verse 21. But in any case, he's now totally discredited. In verse 30, he says, and where am I to go? Now he's totally discredited before his father because, because of this boy. So in verse 31, they took Joseph's tunic and they slaughtered a male goat. They dipped the tunic in the blood. So now what Reuben is, Reuben is now a party to the cover-up. For all he knows, the boy is dead, but he's now a party to the cover-up. He doesn't go and confess what he's, what, 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 as much as he knows to his father. He's a party to the cover-up. And what's interesting here is Jacob had fooled Isaac using a goat skin. Remember, he, his hands were covered in goat skin in his chest so that his father Isaac would not recognize him. Uh, and then, so he fooled his father Isaac with goat skins, and he fooled his father Isaac wearing, by wearing uh, his brother Esau's clothing. So it was cl- with clothing he also fooled Isaac. And so now he is now fooling his, his now, now Jacob is about to be fooled by his own children using goatskins and using clothing. The very same things that he had used to fool his father, Jacob had used to fool his father, he is now being fooled by, by his sons. And so there's an interesting verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says this, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. The principle of sowing and reaping. If we sow evil, we get evil. And very often the evil is also in kind. It's in kind evil. The very thing that we perpetrated, the very thing that we perpetrated comes upon us when we do evil. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Meaning that, you're not going to mess around with God. For whatever man sows, this he will also reap. There is that word again, will. He will. As soon as it says will in the Bible, shall or will, it has to take place. Whatever we sow, we will reap. If we sow good things, good things will come in our lives. If we sow evil things, evil things will, will come in our lives. If we sow deception, deception will come in our lives. And, uh, and so, you, you know, this pattern is here in the scriptures. This pattern of, 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 of what we sow, we will also reap. And we will reap, in fact, many times over. So if you look in, in uh, Luke, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, is something similar. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Luke 6, 37 says this. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good me- a good measure, 
pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, this verse 38 is often used in the context of giving, giving money, giving money to the church or something like that. That is not the context of, of that verse. Now, it's not that the verse might not be able to be applied to that, but the context of the verse is all within judging, condemning, and pardoning. It's within the context in verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. It's all in the context of judging, condemning, and pardoning. What happens in that context? Whatever you give, it'll be given to you in return. Not just a little bit. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. In other words, and running over. You give a little bit of pardon and you will receive a lot of pardon back. You want pardoning in your life? You want people to forgive you for your faults, for the things that you do? Forgive others, and you will be so pardoned. In fact, you will be pardoned much more than you deserve because it's going to come overflowing. The principle of sowing and reaping is going to become overflowing in your lap. If you pardon people, people will pardon you. If you judge people, people will judge you. People will judge you the very same way they will judge you. Uh, uh, in, 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 in the same way that you do this, you will be judged. That's what the scriptures are telling us. In the same way that we do this, we will be judged. And uh, uh, that's the whole thing. And, and so I want to I stress this because this is really important. You guys are growing up. You young people are growing up in a day with all this social media. And what we're seeing is that somebody tweets something from 10 years ago, seven years ago. And then all of a sudden, the culture has changed. The tweet remains the same. The tweet was totally fine when he or she tweeted that. But now culture has changed, and they go back to that tweet from seven years ago, and they say, oh, you wrote this. What happens is, if and, and so somebody writes something, and then people start picking on it and piling on, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, all these people who are picking on that other person and piling on, what they are about to bring upon their lives. When they are judging somebody else for what they said seven years ago, you just wait. I am so thankful that when I grew up, there was no social media, there was no tweeting, there was no, or I would have said a whole lot of stuff, written a whole lot of stuff that I would regret immensely today. Immensely. And so I don't tweet. I just don't do that. I mean, you can get in trouble with it. But you've got to be very careful. And if you try to pile on to somebody else and say, yeah, that person's really bad. That person's really bad. They're this, they're that, they're the other thing. I'm thinking, wow, you are just setting yourself up in life to have people jump all over you. If you think it's not going to hit you, you'll be really shocked because the scriptures say it will happen. It will happen to you. And Jesus addressed this as well. Jesus spoke about the same thing in, in, Mark, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, a very familiar portion. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. In other words, you don't want to be judged in life? Don't judge others. What, what, what happened to, to uh, what Jacob did to his father Isaac is exactly what is coming upon him. The same tools are being used against him. Jesus said, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Jesus said it. 
Jesus said, by our standard of measure, it will be measured to us. If we have an attitude of judgment, we're going to judge this person. Oh, this person's really bad. This person's really bad. By our standard of measure, it will come to us in return. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. Behold, the log that's in your own. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So look at the picture that Jesus paints here. This is not my picture. This is his. We've got a log, a beam coming out of our eye. So imagine there's a beam just stuck in my eye coming out. And this beam is coming out of my eye. And I've got a little pair of forceps, a little pair of tweezers. And I'm like, let me take that speck out of your eye for you. I mean, that's the picture that Jesus paints. And, and uh, uh, this is what he says. You don't want to be judged. You don't judge others. This is what he tells them. And this, in, in like manner, it came upon them. Okay, let's get back to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. And it says, and verse 32, And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to the father and said. So they sent it. So in other words, they took some servants and they sent this bloodied tunic that was from their brother back to their father And the servants say, is it your son's tunic or not? Is it your son's tunic or not? They didn't want to be the ones to have to confront their father with it. So they sent it by servants. They sent it. The servants take it and they say, is this your son's tunic or not? Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. This is the conclusion. Shredded garment, blood all over it. My son has been torn in pieces. And, and uh, we know from the scriptures, even hundreds of years later, that there were wild beasts. There were bears, there were wolves, and there were lions. We know that from the scriptures, documented even years after this. Jesus, or, uh, God even told them when they were coming back into the land, he says, I'm not going to give it to you all at once. I'm going to give it to you a little bit at a time, lest the wild beasts overtake you. And, uh, and then we know that David talked about bears. Uh, David talked about uh, uh, um, lions. And, and there was the defeating of these things that was discussed. So there were wild beasts in, in the land at that time. And this, this is what he assumes. And so it says in verse 35, th- verse 34, Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. So again, you see the renting of the clothes, which is the sign of death. And he puts on sackcloth, which is the sign of mourning. And he's mourned many days. He says, then his sons and his daughters arose to comfort him. His sons and his daughters. Now, we only know one daughter, Dinah. He may well have had many other daughters. We know he has 12 sons. And he only has one daughter that is mentioned because she was the one that that many things were talked about that happened to her in Shechem. He may well have had many other daughters that are not written of. It references other daughters here, but this could also be daughters-in-law. So it could be daughters-in-law. So we don't know for sure. But then his sons. So imagine his sons trying to comfort him. What false comforters. They know all the time that they've sold this boy into Egypt. And they're trying to comfort their father. I mean, false comforters. Reuben at least knows that that, that uh, uh, he's dead, he's gone, and he's trying to comfort his father somehow when he's a party to the cover-up. What false comforters they've become. 
These are really wicked young men. So these are the ten older brothers of Joseph. Joseph is 17 at this time. The oldest is Reuben at 24. The youngest among these 11, there's there's, uh, Benjamin, which is 11 years old. But of these 11 brothers, Joseph was the youngest at 17. So between 20, you got between 24 and 17, 11 children from four different wives. And they're trying to comfort their father. But it says, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Sheol was believed to be under the earth, in fact, in the center of the earth. And Jesus describes this very place. We've talked about this before. Sheol is where both the good and the bad went. Those who knew God and those who didn't. There were two separate sides. There was a good side. There was a bad side. The good side they talked about, Jesus talked about that being the bosom of Abraham that is where those people who knew God, that is certainly where, where, where uh, 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 Jacob is going to end up. He would be on the good side. Those are the ones that Jesus came and took with him, took captivity captive and brought them up to heaven with him. Those, the ones on the bad side, we saw the rich, the rich uh, uh, guy was there and, uh, uh, and, and just the heat and the, the discomfort that's there. This is what they're talking about. This is the shield. But, but what I want to focus in on here today, in verse 35, it says, but he refused to be comforted. He refused to be comforted. So things happen in life all the time. There's, there, there's death, there's sickness, there's pain, there's loss of jobs. There's a lot of things that happen in life. And comfort is available to us in Jesus. Comfort is surely available to us in Jesus. Comfort is well available to us in Jesus. But he refused to be comforted. He refused to allow the comfort of God to come upon him. And we well have the ability to refuse God's comfort. There is, there, there, there is free will with humans. Now, it's not total free will. I liken it to free will of a four-year-old. Free will of a four-year-old. A four-year-old has free will to wander around their house and to... You know, and, and, and to touch things and, and things. But to come a point, if a four-year-old wants to start, you know, climbing up a big ladder in the house, or if a four-year-old wants to go out and start walking down the road, you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got freedom within these confines. But you don't have total freedom. And so even within our free will, we don't have total freedom. God is the one, only, the only one with total freedom. It says in Psalm 115, uh, verse verse three, I think it's, it says that our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he wishes. He does whatever he likes. God is the only one who can do that. But he we certainly have this this ability to refuse to be comforted. He refused to be comforted. There is a comfort that we have that's in Christ that, that, that is offered to us. So, for example, if you if you look in uh, in first Thessalonians chapter four, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now remember, in the New Testament, asleep, to sleep, means those who have died in Christ. Those who knew God and yet died. Remember Tabitha, the little girl. God said of her that she is asleep. And then he rose her up. Those who knew God were said to be asleep because Jesus knew he was going to raise them up in another day. But I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Just as we believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, we believe that. That is fundamental to our faith. It says right here, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, it says that God will bring him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. It is all on God. God will bring them. God will raise them up. Their spirit immediately goes to be with God. Upon death, the spirit immediately goes to be with God. Immediately. The body will be reconstituted and followed. The body will reconstitute and follow. And, and, and God will raise up the body as well. He will reconstitute the body. And so you say, well, how could you reconstitute the body if the body's all decay or the body's cremated? This is no problem for God. You say you got a body. Well, how is your body the same body that it was last year? Is your body the same body that it was yesterday? Every molecule in your body that has a hydrogen bond, that has an OH bond or an NH bond, every one of those molecules is exchanging hydrogens on them constantly. Many, many times per second. So the very molecules that make up your body are different from one moment to another, from one nanosecond to another, are constantly changing. Okay, well, my teeth don't change. They change all the time. You're constantly having dissolution and redeposition. Constantly. Every molecule in your body is changing. Constantly. And you say, well, my body is fixed. It is not. It is not. Every molecule in your body is changing constantly. And so, so God will reconstitute the body. He knows how to do that. He built you one time, He'll build you again. Everything is dynamic within our physical bodies. It is all dynamic. And, and so you see that, that uh, uh, He gives us this hope and this comfort. Now I want to turn to Psalm chapter 42. If you turn to Psalm chapter 42, this is an amazing portion. In Psalm chapter 42, Psalm chapter 42 Starts out, he says, you know, my soul is longing for you, it's thirsting for you. In verse 3 of Psalm chapter 42, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. He says, I'm weeping day and night. Here's a psalmist weeping day and night. Have you ever cried day and night? I mean, here this guy is, is just, just depression is upon him. My tears have been my food day and night. When I, while they say to me all day long, where's your God? So there's people mocking him and he's crying about these things. And I want you to go down to verse 5 of chapter... Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. The psalmist writes this, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. Here he says in verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? So think about this. The psalmist is speaking to his own soul and saying, Why are you in despair, O my soul? He's speaking to himself. So many times when we fall into depression, when we fall in, and it can be just as what happened to, to uh, um, Jacob, uh, uh, to, to Joseph, J- just Jacob regarding Joseph, just as what, what happened, I'm, I'm sorry, just, just as what happened to Joseph, to his father Jacob, this, this very same thing that happened, he lost a son here. This is a very big deal. I don't mean to, to minimize that at all. But here, this psalmist is going on. He says, why are you in despair, oh, my soul? He's even wondering, why am I in despair? Have you ever just woken up in the morning and for some reason you're just depressed? If not depressed, at least melancholy. And you're like, 
Why am I like this? I, I can't even figure out why I would be like this. I was so happy yesterday. Why am I like this today? This is what human beings are like. I mean, it's a sinusoidal event. Why am I down? This psalmist said, why are you in despair, oh my soul? Why am I like this? And why have you become disturbed within me? Again, he's speaking to himself. Now he speaks to himself some more. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He is speaking to himself. Hope in God. This is not just blind hope, hope and change. No, hope in God. Hope in God. This is, I'm going to hope in God. I shall again praise him. So you see how he's speaking to himself, hope in God, and I'm going to praise him. Start to praise God. Start speaking things about God. Start saying, Lord Jesus, you are so good to me. You are the greatest, Lord Jesus. Start speaking good things about God. It will lift your spirit. It will lift your spirit. You you take this thing and you start speaking it. And then he goes in, in verse 6, of, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Look at this. He's lifting himself out and then all of a sudden, oh my God, my spirit is in despair within me. You know, boom, boom, boom. This is our life. This is our life. This is normal life. This is what the scriptures show us. Normal life. Sometimes it's because of outside circumstances that have come upon us. Sometimes there's nothing outside that's come upon us. It's just our own selves. We go from here to here with no explanation. He's like, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. I was just praising you and now I'm in despair again. And he goes on down. He mentions a few things in his life. And and he says, why am I like this? Um... In verse 9, he says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? You know, imagine he says to God, you've forgotten me. You don't remember me. I mean, if we don't voice it, very often we felt it. We felt it. And look at the psalmist. He just comes out with it. He says, look, I'll confess to all of you. I said to God, why have you you forsaken me? Why aren't you here? He says in verse 9, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Okay, the enemy is oppressing, but why do I have to go mourning about this? In verse 11, look down in verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. So again, he ends this with, why are you in despair? He's speaking to himself. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. Being comforted is a decision that we make. Jacob refused to be comforted. I urge you, do not refuse the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Do not refuse the comfort of others. Do not refuse it. This is all a gift from God coming toward us. Do not refuse this comfort. God has this comfort for you. Do not refuse it. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. The help of my countenance and my God. What's the countenance? This is a countenance. I have a down countenance. You know, I just have this down faith. That's my countenance. Or am I, you know, my countenance is bright. That's the countenance. He says, the help of my countenance. God's the one who lifts my countenance and my God. So you think, okay, he dealt with that in this psalm. Okay, he dealt with it in his life. Well, let's look at Psalm 43, the next psalm. Psalm 43, look at the the last verse of Psalm 43. 
Verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. He writes it again. He writes another psalm, and he's still dealing with it. So sometimes God lifts us up and we're all better. And then, boom, we go into it again. This is normal life. This is what I'm telling you. If you think that there are superheroes that don't go through this, that's a lie. Everybody goes through this. Sometimes I have highs, some days I have lows. And sometimes I don't know why I'm even low. You know, what's happened to me? Why am I even feeling like this? Nothing's happened between yesterday and today and I'm feeling like this. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. Allow yourself to be comforted. God had comfort for Jacob in his loss. He refused to be comforted. Don't refuse to be comforted in life. Allow God to comfort you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, help us to learn from your word that you have comfort for us as we go through these seasons where we can't even explain it. Lord, I pray. And then even as we go through seasons where things have come upon us like death and destruction and loss of jobs. But Lord, you have a comfort for us. Let us learn to take that comfort. And Father, I pray that you teach us not to judge others. That you would teach us to pardon so that we would be pardoned. That you'd keep us from piling on others that they might for things that they might have said. Lord, help us to show mercy and pardon so that we can receive mercy and pardon in our own lives. Lord, I pray that we would walk with you and realize that whatever we sow, that we shall also reap. If we sow goodness and kindness and pardoning, that's what we will get. Father, do this in our lives. Don't let this just be words on a page. Father, take the words of the Scripture and put it in our lives, Lord. We need this. And Lord, I pray for the ones here, particularly, who go through these fits of depression, for some unexplainable reason. Father, I pray that even this day they would see that they are one with the psalmist and that they would speak to their own souls and to say, why are you in despair, O my soul? Hope in God, for I will praise you today and that they would be lifted up. And when it hits them the the same time again and the next day again, Father, that again and again they would be like this psalmist and they would allow themselves to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. Bring that change Bring that change about in their lives, I pray. Lord, do a good work. Do a good work. And Father, for those here who don't know you, who have no access to this sort of power from God, Father, I pray that you bring them to Jesus. Lord, bring them to Jesus, that this very day they would cry out and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That they speak this forth in their lives. Bring them to Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.